Good morning, Terra Nova Church. Good morning. Uh, it is good to be here with you this morning on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, if you're new here, uh, we want you to feel welcome and invited into this place. And we, uh, just thank you for joining us in worship. Uh, my name is Rob Keparudis. I'm the worship arts pastor here at Terra Nova in Troy. And it's an amazing thing that we get to gather and remember that we worship a God who delivers us from sin, from shame, from death, from anxiety, and he raises us to new life. Um, today, let's let God's story and his faithfulness recapture our heart's attention. Just hear these words from Psalm 95 as we enter into a time of singing and rejoicing and worshiping our Lord and Savior. This is Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's worship our great God and king this morning. Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Can we sing that again? Christ alone, 
Let's pray. O Lord, our helper, we are people who often run towards sin instead of running away from it. We fix our eyes on our own desires and pursue them recklessly with no thought of danger to our souls. We know that we are free from the bondage of sin, yet we choose to live as slaves to sin. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for that. Jesus, our sinful souls are counted free because of your righteous life and ransoming death. And now we are truly free to approach you with joy and confidence. Thank you for your amazing grace that draws us irresistibly before your throne to worship you, 
not as slaves, but as children of the living God. The Holy Spirit cause us to rest in the perfect goodness of Jesus Christ as our only hope and grant us growing obedience that springs from deep gratitude for all you have done for us. May we hear the words, no condemnation, and know in our hearts that we have been freed from the bondage of sin, that our chains are gone, and that our hearts are free to worship you forever. It's in Christ's name that we ask these, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will Still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds to know his voice who
Father, it feels as though during this uh, season of life that we're entering into that it can feel chaotic, it can feel anxious. Father, our hearts can be filled with worry and fear. But God, I pray that the words of this song would rest on our hearts and our minds and that we would be changed into seeing things more rightly because of who you are and what you have done for us. Father, I pray that you would use your servant. Allow his words that have come from you be words that change our hearts to see Jesus more rightly. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. You have a seat. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's beautiful out, right? Um, so for those of you who don't know, my name is Blake. I serve here as the Director of Discipleship and Outreach, um, which I'm really excited to be able to do. I've been doing that for the last month now. And what that means is I get to um, serve in a lot of the practical function of the church, whether it's uh, supporting our tribe structure or where I get to work really closely with our youth, which I'm really excited about coming up, or um, connecting with some local nonprofits in the area to serve the community of Troy. Um, I get to do those things. Pretty much whatever the other guys in the office don't really feel like doing, I get handed because I'm the new guy, um, which is why I'm preaching this morning. Um, so, so uh, anyway, I'm really excited to be here. Um, there's a few kind of practical things that I want to talk about that have nothing to do with the sermon today that we're going to get into real quick. Um, a couple weeks ago, I spoke uh, on Psalm chapter 8, and we were going through our Psalm series, and it was a little bit different where we used Psalm 8 as a platform and a, kind of as a structural outline to create your own psalm. So you had opportunities, if you were here, if you weren't here, you can do this later on. You had opportunities to hear a part of the message of the psalm and then reflect well and, and journal and maybe even write your own psalm. You had a few moments to do that. And I saw a lot of people engaged in that. And after the service, um, Rob and I were talking, and Rob came up with an idea that we thought was pretty cool and we'd love to run by you. And, and it's that we would love to hear those psalms from you or to receive some of those psalms from you um, in an anonymous way. Uh, but we thought it might be cool to get some of those psalms, if you're willing to, and Rob mentioned perhaps even using them as inspiration to write some original music, to write some original songs that are from the basis of the Terra Nova Church um, to inspire original songs to worship to, or as, as devotions, as inspiration for devotions as we're, we're leading people and, and kind of get a gauge on where people are at, or even as inspirational posts for our social media. So if you're willing to send us some of the things that you wrote down, we would handle it anonymously. We would love that to be able to have a, a database of kind of the Psalms of Terra Nova Church. Um, so feel free to send that to either myself or to Rob or emails or our names at terranovachurch.org. Um, so please feel free to engage in that. Um, and with that being said, we're going to have more opportunity today to kind of pause in the middle of the sermon and reflect well um, on what's being said. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why I've been doing that lately. Uh, one of the things is that I recognize that everybody in this room is in a different place in their walk with Jesus. Some of us are in a really um, good spot where we're feeling a sense of intimacy in our relationship with God and we feel near to him, regardless of our circumstance. Maybe life's not going great, but I'm experiencing joy in the middle of my suffering or I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good in my relationship with God. And then some of us are over here and we're not feeling super close. And maybe we're feeling distant or apathetic or kind of busy and, and not really engaging well in our relationship with Jesus. And that's okay. 
we have, we have busy lives, and we're all at different points in our relationship with, with God. And we want to provide you with opportunities um, to simply sit back, hear the word, and engage with Scripture. Right? So we want to give you opportunities in the middle of this sermon to not sit and listen, but to actually actively engage with what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in the moment. So there's going to be two times today where um, we're going to actually have live music this time. I don't just have some music queued up. So we're going to have some of the band come up and play a song, and I'm going to encourage you to really engage well. For some, I'm going to have some uh, questions up on the screen. For some of us, that means get out a notebook and journal through those questions, right? If you want to do that and you don't have a notebook, if you flip your guide page over, there is a notes section conveniently there for you to encourage your engagement with the sermon. Um, but if that's not you, take time to meditate on the questions and, and silently just step back and, and meditate on what Jesus is speaking to you and uh, through his word. Or, or if you want to stand up and worship along with the team, that's great too. Take whatever posture you want in those opportunities. We just encourage you to really engage well as we hear the word. Um, so that's kind of the, the practical stuff I wanted to talk about. We're going to dive into our passage for today. And in diving into the passage, I'm going to jump right to our roadmap for today. So the big idea for today, we're back in our series of Matthew. If you want to open up your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 46. So that's 23 verses to cover. So we're going to have a pretty general view of what's going on in our, our section here. Um, but the, the main idea is this. Jesus, and it'll be right up here, Jesus is the authoritative ruler of the kingdom of God, which is really great news. Um, and it's open to all who recognize their need for redemption and who desire to live according to God's original design. Jesus is the authoritative ruler of the kingdom of God, which is open to all who recognize their need for redemption and desire to live according to God's original design. Because so that's kind of the, the big point that um, Jesus is making in these, in this, uh, these verses that we're going to work through. And here's how we're going to get to that. First, we're going to look at the rejection of Jesus and the rejection of the kingdom of God. So in, in our passage, we're going to see this confrontation between Jewish leaders and Jesus. And the, Jesus is going to call the Jewish leaders out for their rejection of him. And we're going to see that the Jewish leaders had this expectation of the Messiah that Jesus didn't meet. Um, so they reject him. And we're going to look at, maybe there are ways that we do that ourselves. Um, and then our second point, we're going to look at the reasons um, for and the evidence of that rejection. And Jesus is going to highlight this for the Jewish leaders in these parables where he shows you, hey, you are rejecting me, and here's how we know you're rejecting me, and here's why. Right? And we're going to look at maybe what's the evidence in our own lives where we reject Jesus in our lives and we reject his authority in his kingdom, and, and where does that come from? So we're going to search kind of the, the inner part of our heart to determine that. And then we're going to look at the righteousness of the kingdom, that Jesus is um, our righteousness, and he is the, the answer, and he is the one who is the ruler, not us. Um, so those are the three big points. We are going to dive in. Everybody ready to go? Ready to engage well? Awesome. All right, good. Um, love the, love it. Um, so we open up in verse 23, and we see immediately this confrontation between the Jewish leaders and Jesus. Jesus is in the temple, and they come up to him, what gives you the right to do this, right? And you can read along in the, in the verse, but they start off by saying, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? So this is the Jewish leaders speaking to Jesus while Jesus is speaking in the temple, um, and they say, 
what gives you the right to do these things? So the first question we ask is, what are these things that seem to be authoritative that Jesus is doing? And to, to observe that, we're going to look back at early chapter 21, where ever since Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, things have gotten pretty crazy. So for these Jewish leaders, they've heard about Jesus' ministry out, outside of Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe some of them were there, maybe they weren't. But now Jesus arrives to Jerusalem, and he rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, and everybody goes crazy. And everybody's worshiping him as God, worshiping him as the Messiah. And Jesus accepts that worship. Right? So it's really interesting that he accepts the worship. And then after this triumphal entry that we see in chapter 21, the next passage talks about how Jesus goes into the temple. The temple that is supposed to be this intimate place of fellowship between God and his people, where people sacrifice to him and are made right before him, where people have turned it into, and the Jewish leaders have turned it into this place of commerce and business where people are taking advantage of other people to make money on God's sacrificial system. And Jesus goes in and he turns over the tables and he kicks those people out of the temple and he brings in the outcasts and the lepers and he heals them. Um, and, and in the corner, when we read that off on the side, there are children that praise him as the Messiah. Right? And we read that the Jewish leaders are indignant at what they said there. And then in the next passage that we, we worked through last week, we see Jesus curses this fig tree. Um, there's nothing explicit in the text, but what Matthew, the author, is doing with that, he's saying Jesus curses the fig tree because it didn't bear fruit. The tree looked like it should bear fruit. It had the leaves that would signal to somebody that, yes, there are figs on this tree, but yet it did not bear any fruit. And Jesus is kind of equating that to the religious leaders of the time. You guys, are, or you guys look great. You look like you're bare fruit, but you don't actually do that. All right, so he's starting to call out the religious leaders. And Matthew is using that section of scripture to set up this exchange that we see going on in 23 through uh, 46. So um, there's an underlying theme that I want to pause and talk about for a second. And that's this theme of the Messiah that we see where Jesus is accepting worship as the Messiah in these instances. And the concept of the Messiah, maybe we're familiar with it, it just means that Jesus is the Savior that was promised from the Old Testament. But the concept actually goes all the way back to Genesis where we see God created the world and he made humanity and he formed humans in a way that they would flourish the most and experience the most joy according to his original design under his rule, right? Humans would flourish under the authority of God, not outside of the authority of God. But in early Genesis, we see that humans are deceived and they make this decision to be their own rulers and step outside of the authority of God and, and step outside of God's original intention. And that's what sin is. And we see early in that um, fall of humanity a promise that God makes to his people where he says, from the, the son of Eve, right, will crush the serpent's head and will reestablish humanity back to God's original intention. And that's where this concept of the Messiah is born, that one day somebody will come and make right what happened in the garden. Um, so the, the Messiah is supposed to be one who brings humanity back to their original intention, to this, this flourishing existence where they, they do well according to God's created design. But the concept of the Messiah has kind of transformed over time. The people of God, Israel, are in covenant with God and they're, they're conquered and they, they turn their backs on God and they're conquered and then God restores them and they worship him and then they're conquered again. And, and there's this cycle of um, 
suffering for the people of God. And, and the idea of the Messiah turns into, well, we need somebody to, to um, lead us out of the oppression that we experience. We need somebody who's going to be this military leader who is going to rid us of whatever nation is ruling us. Because at the time of the writing in the New Testament, we see that Rome is in power in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not an autonomous nation. They are under the, the rule of the Romans. Prior to the Romans, they were under the rule of this nation called the Seleucids, who had uh, this guy Antiochus Epiphanes. He had outlawed, he had said that if you practice Judaism in Jerusalem, he ruled in Jerusalem, if you practice Judaism, you will be put to death. And he took this uh, statue of Zeus and he put it on the altar in the temple. He hated Jewish people, and the Jewish people revolted. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Friends. Anybody a Friends fan out there? Yeah, the, no? No Friends fans out there? Wow. The Holiday Armadillo, the Maccabean result. Yeah, all right, go check it out. It's good. Um, so <laughs> that failed miserably. Um, <laughs> so the, the Jewish people revolt, but in their revolt to be autonomous, they bring the Roman Empire in, and now Rome is in charge, and they are longing to be autonomous, and they want their Messiah to be this military figure who is going to start this rebellion like they did a few, like a hundred years before, and lead them out of oppression. And then they get Jesus, right, who arrives on the scene, and he is not what the leaders want him to be. Jesus teaches about love and peace and mercy and grace. And he says, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his stuff for a mile, which was part of the law at the time, go with him two miles. It's kind of the opposite of what they were looking for in their Messiah. So um, Jesus as a Messiah-like figure is shooting down the idea, the expectation that the Jewish leaders had, and they are not happy about it. So they approach him before he gets too much momentum going in his ministry, which he already has, um, and they want to stifle his ministry. So when they approach him and they ask him this question, by what authority are you doing this? They're not asking Jesus, hey, what authority are you doing this? They're asking him to try to set a trap for him. Because they know if Jesus says, I'm doing this because I'm sent from God, they have ammunition now, later, when the crowds aren't around, to arrest Jesus because he is claiming to be God and, and they can put him on trial, right? Which is what they end up doing. And if Jesus says, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing this from God's authority, I'm just doing it from my own authority, then nobody's going to follow him anymore. So they try to set this trap for Jesus. Jesus, the ruler of the world, they try to trap him. And they're trying to stifle his ministry because they don't like who he is. They don't like the expectation. They don't like how he's engaging with their kingdom that they've established themselves. Right? The leaders were trying to stifle the ministry of Jesus because it was, he wasn't who they wanted him to be. And here's going to be our first place where we stop to pause and analyze. So the, um, the band's going to come up. We're going we're gonna to take some time to, to think through um, this idea, right? Jesus is the, and there's some concepts being fleshed out in here that aren't specifically clear in the passage, but Jesus is being portrayed as this very authoritative ruler of the kingdom of God. God has this original intention for us, and he knows what's best for us. He knows what it's, how we can flourish best. And yet sometimes, like these religious leaders, we don't like it. Right? We reject it, and the, the religious leaders reject it, because we think our way is better. It's original sin. We step outside of the authority and rule of Jesus because we think our way is better. We have our own expectations, maybe, of how we want our life to go, 
how we want our relationships to go, how we want to spend our money, navigate things, enjoy different comforts, not necessarily cultivate life around me, but cultivate life for myself and the people that I'm, I'm close to. And I care about all these things, and maybe I reject the authority of Jesus like the leaders did because they had expectations of him. And when they don't, and when he doesn't meet those expectations, what is the reaction? So we're going to pause and meditate, and here, there's going to be some questions up here. Um, it says, to meditate on the authority of Jesus and the nature of the kingdom of God. When we think of kingdom of God, think original intention, human flourishing. All right, so meditate on Jesus is authoritative and he wants us to flourish. Right? But where in my life do I fall short of submitting to his authority and pursuing the kingdom of God? And if you want to look at the other question too, what expectations do I impose on Jesus? What expectations do I have for him? And then how do I react when Jesus doesn't work in my life the way that I want him to. So we're going to give you a few moments to do that. I, I encourage you to meditate, journal, uh, listen to the music, and, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes.
Okay. So, um, Jesus' message to the, the leaders is, is kind of harsh, right? And, and maybe we aren't as um, blatant in our you know, rejection of him, but we, we, are, we are human and we have a sinful nature and, and, and we, we um, evidence that in some ways, right? So Jesus is being harsh to the leaders and it's convicting to us. And, and we have another couple of parables where he's really going to kind of hammer home on this point. Um, and it's convicting to us. And I encourage us to continue to be open-minded and open-hearted about how is, what is Jesus revealing to me through these parables that we're about to look at where we see further rejection and, and kind of just this um, blunt view of sin in humanity, right? So, um, Jesus approaching these leaders, he says, okay, so you asked me this question. He answers back this question and asks them about John's authority and, and kind of, he doesn't subvert their question, but he says, I'm not going to answer this question because I know you're trying to trap me. Why don't you answer this? And, and they don't really have an answer for him. Um, so he takes the opportunity to teach more about rejection and, and in so doing, highlight his kingdom and God's original intention and really paint a picture for why he came to earth. Um, so he says, you're rejecting me, leaders. Here's how I know how you're rejecting me, and here's I know why you're rejecting me. So he's going to show us the evidence of rejection. So when he looks at the leaders, what's the evidence that he sees as to why it, it seems evident that they're rejecting him? And then um, what do you think the reasons are, right? So we're going to read through these two parables. First one's going to be the parable of the two sons, which is in verse, uh, verses 28 through something, 32. Um, so we're going to read that. Jesus says this, What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And keep in mind, he's going to use this concept of the vineyard twice in both parables because he has original intention in mind. God created humanity and put them in a garden, right? Here in the next parable, God's going to be likened to this master who made a vineyard, right? We're, we're, Jesus is linking this idea back to original intention and original sin. So he says, go and work in the vineyard. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and said to the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So this parable, there's a lot going on. We're going to highlight something that's really straightforward. And the parable is pretty straightforward as far as what Jesus is trying to say. Um, there's two sons. One who verbally, the first, who verbally denies the will of the father. But then afterward goes and obeys and, and works in the vineyard and produces fruit. But then there's the second son who says, yeah, of course, I'm going to go. I'm going to work. I'm gonna, I'm, of course, I'm going to be in the vineyard. That's where I'm at. And then doesn't go. Right? So there's two sons. And he paints this picture of the Jewish leaders like that of the second son who, who say, yeah, of course, I am a part of the kingdom of God. Of course, I engage in life the way that God designed. Of course, these things. But they don't actually bear any fruit, just like that fig tree who looks great. Right? Looks like it's, it's flourishing and blossoming. But in reality, it's bearing no fruit. So for Jesus, the evidence of the rejection of his authority is the lack of action and bearing fruit in the kingdom of God. So he knows that these religious leaders are rejecting him because they don't actually bear fruit of his kingdom. 
Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? So that's parable number one. The evidence of rejection of Jesus' authority is the lack of action according to the kingdom of God, right? And we're going to take some time and reflect on where we see that in ourselves in a little bit. But the second parable, if the focus of the first parable is on this evidence, then the focus of this parable is, highlights the reason why people reject, why these leaders reject Jesus. Jesus says this, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit, and the tenants took his service, servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. So here we have this picture of the master who made the vineyard, like God who created earth and created humanity with a purpose, right? We have this image of original intention for creation once again, to thrive and produce fruit and cultivate life, right? Um, and we see that God, or the master, entrusts the vineyard to the tenants. God entrusted his creation to people and to the people of Israel in particular and to the Jewish leaders even more particularly. And we see that over history in the vineyard, the master would send um, servants to collect the fruit, just like God would send his prophets to kind of turn the people of Israel back to the covenant and remind them of God's original intention for them. And over the course of the history of Israel, the prophets are rejected and treated poorly by the religious leaders, and they're killed by the religious leaders. So Jesus is making really big statements about the failures of the leaders of the people of Israel who killed his messengers. And now the master sends the son, and the son is killed. Just like God sends the son, and the son will be killed. Right? And it's in that moment of planning, plotting to kill the son, just like the, the leaders are plotting to kill the son now, in that moment where the motive for rejection is evident, they say, this is the heir, come let us kill him so that we can have the inheritance for ourselves. They want the inheritance for themselves. At the heart of rejection of Jesus is the desire to have what he has. Right? The Jewish leaders wanted power, prestige, they, they wanted their own sense of righteousness, their own sense of, of fame, their own sense of rulership of their own kingdom. Right? So in these two parables, and that's what Jesus is, is highlighting for them, in these two parables we have evidence of rejection of authority, that's this lack of action according to the kingdom, lack of bearing fruit in the kingdom, and the reason for that rejection is that they simply want his authority. And it's a good time, again, to pause and analyze for ourselves. So the band's going to come on back up. And we're going to ask ourselves, where do we see those tendencies, those truths in our own selves? Original sin is just that, right? It's, I, I know God's plan, but the reason, I don't want God to rule over me. I want to have my own sense of authority, my own sense of power, because I think I know what's best for myself. 
God's original plan, the way that he designed me, is not sufficient for my sense of happiness. So I'm going to pursue happiness in this way, outside of the means of God's original intention. At the heart of everything, it's simply sin believing that God is not enough, which is what the original sin in the garden was. And that's what Jesus is highlighting. So we're going to have a couple of questions on, on the, uh, the screen up here. I'm going to read them for us. What is the evidence in my life that reveals my rejection of Jesus' authority? This is that first parable. Where do I lack action in bearing fruit according to the kingdom of God? And then the second question in the second parable, what is the inheritance I want for myself? When I recognize I reject Jesus' authority and desire to be the God of my own life, what is my heart longing for? What am I hoping for? Is it, is it power? Is it security? Is it comfort? What am I longing for that I pursue outside of the realm? God's kingdom. I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your
Okay, so we've journeyed through Jesus's kind of critique of the Jewish leaders, and he, he highlights that it's not just their issue, it's a historic issue. Sin is a historic problem throughout the course of Israel's history, where time after time after time, leaders reject the work that God is doing, and um, it paints a picture that that's just a common thing in humanity, so we, we spend some time and we engage with the areas where we tend to reject Jesus as well. Um, and it's convicting. Um, it's a lot of conviction. But Jesus offers hope in the conclusion of what he has to say. Um, and he introduces that hope uh, in this next part of the passage um, where he says, have you not read? And pause right there toward the end of this passage. He says, has you, have you not read? Speaking to the Jewish leaders. And every time he uses that phrase, it's this formula he uses. He's going to share some Old Testament scripture that points to himself as the Messiah, as the, as the Savior. So he says, have you not read? And he, he reads this, this little excerpt out of Psalm 118. And he says, the stone that the builders rejected, he's talking about being rejected, has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes, right? So Jesus provides, after, after speaking through these two parables, he provides this imagery of this rejected stone that has become the cornerstone. And the cornerstone was used for a lot of purposes back then. Sometimes it was used as a threshold in between a doorway, sometimes as the top of this railing and a really elaborate um, kind of deck, and sometimes they used as the center of an archway. Um, it was really important piece of architecture, and it definitely conveyed a sense of finality to a building project. So it was final. And here, the rejected stone is the cornerstone, the final stone. Jesus will go on to say that the kingdom is taken away from the Jewish leaders. They have rejected him and rejected him and rejected him now with finality. Right? But he says it's given to all. So Jesus is making this transfer of the kingdom where they have rejected the cornerstone, but now the cornerstone is given to all. The kingdom taken from Israel, open to all. He mentions giving the kingdom to tax collectors and prostitutes and people who would produce fruit. And Jesus is teaching this really profound truth about the kingdom. That the kingdom is not for those who would deliberately reject God like the leaders of Israel had and would be God themselves to the end. It's for those who recognize their need for redemption like the tax collector and the prostitute and the people who are bearing fruit. So Jesus is essentially saying the sinner is for the person who says, yes, I sin, right? I desire to be the God of my own life. I don't always desire what God has for me. I don't always act according to the kingdom of God, but I see the brokenness in that, right? I am aware of my own brokenness. I'm aware of my sin, and I desire that Jesus would be Lord over me. I don't desire to be God myself, even though sometimes I act that way. That's who the kingdom is for the people who recognizes that, that they don't know what is best. 
And what a relief that is, that, we, that Jesus brings a kingdom like that, right? And the religious leaders hear this, and it's a complete shock to their power because their whole system relies on their sense of self-righteousness, the actions that they take, the way that they structure, the way that they um, experience power and prestige, right? And they end up wanting to arrest him, and they end, up do, they end up arresting him, and they end up killing him because of this message, because he's not the Messiah that they wanted. But for us, it's the gospel message, right? It's that the God of the universe who created the world in a certain way, who uh, designed humans to flourish in a certain way, even when humanity steps outside of that, provides a way for us to experience his goodness, right? He comes to give us life, comes to give us joy, even in the midst of our brokenness, as long if we simply recognize our need for him. And of course, we won't experience joy in the middle of brokenness if we don't recognize our own sense of brokenness. So we don't need to, Jesus is teaching, we don't need to bear the burden of being our own gods. It's too much. We, we're not designed to have power in our lives. We're not designed to know what's best for us, to know the, the big picture plan for the rest of our lives. We're designed to be aware of our flaws. We're designed to be under the authority of Jesus and trust in him and trust in his sovereignty. And it's that message that cost him his life, right? So Jesus, the rejected cornerstone who offers hope, is tortured and killed because people didn't want to hear that message from him. And that's where we analyze in our hearts where we reject him and where we push him aside. And it's really great news for us. And actually, um, I know somebody's going to come up here. We're going to have some time to meditate um, before we take communion. And there's going to be a prompt up on the screen that gives us a little bit of extra time to respond uh, before we, or to meditate before we respond in communion. Right? So I'm going to recap a little bit about where we're at, and then I want to encourage us to just meditate on who Jesus is. Right? So we heard about, that we, we were made aware through how Jesus engages with the Jewish leaders that maybe sometimes we reject Jesus. We reject his authority, and there's evidence of that because maybe I don't always bear the fruit of the Spirit. Of course I don't, because we're sinful human beings, right? And there's evidence of it, and we realize that in the deepest part of who we are, maybe we want to be the God in our own lives, right? And we want to experience life in our own control, in our own sense. And Jesus doesn't just let us do that, thank God, because it's miserable, and it's, it causes suffering and brokenness. And he saves us from that. He comes to earth, does what he does, ushers the kingdom, and he suffers and dies on the cross so that we can experience who he is, and God's original intention, right? So as we approach communion and we, when we think about the fact that he was beaten and tortured and hung on a cross so that we can experience joy in the middle of our brokenness, let's appreciate what Jesus did for us in its fullness, right? He is the authoritative ruler of the kingdom hung on a tree so that we can be a part of his kingdom, right? And when we, when we go to take the, the bread and we eat the bread, we remember that he was broken for us. And when we we take the juice, we remember that his blood was spilled for us, right, so that we can experience joy. Um, so we'll take some time, we'll meditate um, before we engage in communion. If you didn't get a chance to get a communion cup, um, there's some over here as you're reflecting on those prompts. Um, we're just going to walk through the sacrament together um, as we kind of work through the things that Maybe God was doing in your heart through this uh, service and this time in the word.
but we can open up our little cups here and take out the piece of matzah and wafer. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. I pray that... Um, the things that maybe the Lord was impressing upon you, um, that you you take seriously what, what God might be saying to you and working through you and you act on it and you don't let times like this just kind of slip away. Um, let's stand as we continue to respond um, to the Lord through song and singing.
takes away our sin, who takes away our sin, the Holy Lamb of God makes us alive again, makes us alive again. church. Amen. Have a seat for a moment. Jason. Well, good morning, church. It's kind of loud. My name is Jason, and I have the privilege to serve as a lay elder here at Terra. Um, so a couple announcements. Uh, if you are new here, welcome. We are glad that you've joined us. We'd love to get to know you more. So um, you can find a little bit more about us on our Facebook page and web page. It's a little impersonal. So I'm just going to challenge those of us that have been here. If you see faces that you don't recognize, introduce yourself to those folks. Uh, make them feel welcome. So um, that's going to be my challenge to you guys this morning. Um, and in regards to the message today, so it, it, was, it was great to be able to reflect on those questions. But five minutes reflection, sometimes uh, some of us need a little bit more time to do that. So we're going to make those questions available on our social media page. If you want to go back to them in your studies during the week and just reflect on those questions as you read through the passage again during your daily devotions, um, they will be available early next week on our Facebook page. There will be a link to those questions so you can look back for those. Um, just a reminder that we will take our tithe and offerings, but we don't, we don't pass those anymore, so there are bins on the side, and you can give online. Um, giving here is a, another act of worship that we do as believers at Terra Nova, so I encourage you to remind you to be giving regularly, sacrificially, and joyfully. All right, into the heart of the announcements. So next Saturday morning is the Poema, or Saturday evening is the Poema kickoff, and that is going to be from 6 to 8 at the Caparutis home in Cohoes, New York. So ladies, um, this will be the kickoff to the start of a fall season for some uh, women's ministry events. So please join that. Um, and if you want to see where Rob and Heidi live, you can, you can show up too. Just the ladies, though. Yes, only if you're a lady. Rob will be in the basement, so don't worry. Okay. Um, and so great news, September 12th. Um, better late than never is the church picnic. So um, 
Couple of things here. If you volunteered, we don't give back volunteers very easily here, so you're locked in. All right, so if you were volunteered on the rainy day in August, you're still, you're still locked in. If you can't volunteer for that role, please email Blake at TerranovaChurch.org. Um, we do need a few more volunteers, so if you want to volunteer, there's signups over there, okay? So if you cannot volunteer, please email Blake early this week. Blake or Marcus will reach out to the volunteers just to confirm at some point this week. Uh, it's going to be a great day, so pray for good weather. We're going to have some baptisms, which is a great sign of believers dedicating their life to Jesus. So um, even if you're not being baptized, please come um, and, and rejoice in those baptisms and uh, be able to hang out with your uh, fellow church attendees at the beautiful Grafton Park. Okay, uh, last and I saved the best announcement is the men's retreat is coming up in two weeks. So guys, if you have not registered, please register soon. It helps us to plan. Um, if money is a, a concern, don't let it be. We have scholarship money. You can go on the site and re register, and then you can click that you're interested in a scholarship, and somebody will reach out to you for that. So don't let that be a hindrance. Uh, if you have never been, um, this is a great time to meet more guys at Terra Nova, um, to be able to be engaged in community away from here in the Adirondacks. Uh, it's a great two days, and we really want you guys to be a part of that. So please join. If you have questions, you can see me afterwards. Um, and then one, one ask is we need two volunteer, two more volunteers to help us cook the food for the men's retreat. So guys, if you maybe can't go because logistically you're not able to make it this year, but you know how good that food is and uh, what a great event it is, and you want to be able to help serve those guys that are going to be there, we could use two more volunteers. Uh, it's about four hours. We'll be from 8 to 12 next Saturday. We have an industrial kitchen where we cook everything up, and we're looking for two volunteers. So if you could do that and willing to give a couple hours of your time, you can email me, jason, at terranovachurch.org, um, or see me right after service. Uh, we'd appreciate that. And that is all my announcements for today. So thanks, Rob. Thanks. Real quick, if, if you at any point felt like the Lord moving you uh, in your heart and you need prayer, we just want to let you know that we offer that at any point after service um, up here. Anybody that you saw on the platform, Pastor Bill, myself, any uh, Jason um, or Blake, um, just come find us. Uh, we would love to pray for you. We don't want that to not be said or known. Um, so let's stand and worship as we uh, go, as we close our, our service out here today.
me leave you with these words from Romans, and it's in chapter 15. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen, church. Amen. Have a great week.